Welcome and happy Friday. It's January 15th, 2016. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I am here with Mara Walters, who's our digital executive director, uh, Pilar Guzman, who's our editor in chief, Yolanda Edwards, who's our creative director and a podcast newbie, and Calder Quinn, uh, one of our assistant editors and a producer for us for video and audio, and who is sadly leaving us, which we're especially sad about because he's our bartender as well. It's farewell, but not goodbye, sad. Brad. Oh, poor Calder. Uh, poor us. Um, my name is Brad Rickman. I'm the digital director. And we're going to start this week as we do every week with the cocktail of the week. This one's called El Duende. And it comes to us from Spur Gastropod in Seattle. So Calder, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about what is in this thing. Well, you know, I'm really impressed with this drink. It seemed complicated at first, but it was pretty easy to put together. And I have to say it's really nice balance. Um, it is a Novo Fogo Cachaça, um, a pe Pecho Bitter Top lime juice, orgiat syrup, carpano antica vermouth, and overcrushed ice. With That's it. super easy. Yeah. yeah. Super, every, every Very easy, easy. You know, you just pull so right pull from it. your... No, everyone's of course, got everybody has bar. that around their house. Yeah, cashew syrup. Yeah, easy. So you, you can find the recipe for that on our site. Uh, check it out. And, and it looks like a sunset. It mm -hmm. does look like a sunset. It's like a tequila sunrise a little mm -hmm. bit. So taste it. Tell Delicious. us what you think. I'm halfway done with mine. <laughs> Pilar didn't want to drink it at first. She's like, I'll take a sip, then mm. you have to drink it. It's good. It's like delicious. Snow cone. Snow cone. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have a very special topic, and Mara is kind of a special guest here this week. We're going to talk wow. about traveling with children. And Mara's here because she is not just our digital executive director, but she is also our most imminent parent. Um, and she is going to be due in about a month, a little over a mm -hmm. month, maybe. So um, I think, Mara, maybe I'll turn it over to you and we can take it from there. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so one of the things that I hear more than anything else besides you'll never sleep again is that you will never travel again. Not true. I hope it's not true. Um, <laughs> not true. I don't know if that's coming Can't from people true. who don't travel so much or people who are just uninformed or afraid about it. Um, but that would, that would make me so sad. And um, for the first time, my cousin's getting married in New Orleans in May, and we're really hoping to go Memorial Day weekend. And I wanted to stay at the new Ace Hotel. And I was like, yes, I'm so into this. Um, and for the first time ever, I had to consider, like, will it be too noisy? Is it kid-friendly? What do I have to bring? It just adds a whole other layer of consideration. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm a little, I'm a little... <laughs> Yeah, Anxious and about it. I also I, I think well. First of all, you're not going to have a kid, so kid friendly. You're going to have an infant. Mm -hmm. So the most most <laughs> portable difference. form of life is an infant. Okay, so they're not a kid yet. That's the beautiful part. Things get complicated when they become toddlers and need to mm -hmm. roam the aisles of a plane, and you go through that. I think the biggest thing is you book the ticket. Mm -hmm. You have to just commit to and and knowing that. It, yes, you're going to be carrying your diaper bag and your this and your that and your stroller and all the gear, which, you know, if you can learn to streamline it, you know, sooner than later, it's, it's good. But sometimes that gives you a sense of security. So do whatever you need to do. Mm -hmm. But I think the big thing is just taking making the commitment to being a traveling family. I yes. think that's step number one. And once you start, you demystify the fear around it. I think there are tons of people who wait like way too long. They wait like five years before they start traveling with their kids. And you just do it 
you just go. And then you realize this isn't so bad. Mm -hmm. And at every stage, it presents new challenges, of course. Um, I think Yolanda, when we launched Cookie Magazine, it was a parenting magazine um, that uh, ran for about five years from Condé Nast. Um, we were both new parents, um, and I think Yolanda was our travel editor <laughs> and was on the road constantly with her her baby baby girl, um, who's now 12. Um, so, so one of the first things I'd say is you just you. You just have to commit to you exactly what Pilar said. You are a traveling family and nothing changes. And it's like your flight is free for the kids. So there's no added expense. You're just going to like get on the plane and they're going to cry or they're not. But that's just the way it is. And who cares what if people are staring at you? It's you'll never see them again. And, and people are generally nice. Yeah. You get a, like here you and know, there, you get a crotchety I, somebody, but. I feel like the worst, I mean, it's best to just think, like, what's the worst thing that can happen is, like, they might cry, they might poop on you. Okay, so they'll cry. If they poop on you, bring an extra pair of leggings. Like, there's, it just I, got I got a, a worse a worse, worse thing than those worst things. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. So we went to uh, traveling with babe. This is, I would say two things, like, traveling with babies, try to get a bulkhead seat. Because you okay. can get a bassinet that they will put on right. the on the especially for there. the overnight. Yeah, ramp. which is if you're flying a long flight, like if it's not if it's a short flight, who cares? But we were flying to Italy, so it was a it was an important thing. But then, at some point, the the flight attendants were putting the bassinet up, and this is we had our son. He was I don't remember how old he was, but he was a very small baby, and we were going, and the flight attendants were putting the bassinet up. And I put him in the seat because I was standing aside to let them, you know, have room. And all of a sudden we heard this thud. <laughs> and no. I looked down and he had rolled off the chair <laughs> and onto his head on the floor. Oh, my God. And I, I mean, justifiably, I was mortified. I felt like, oh, my God, I've killed my kid. He was fine. He was totally fine. But that very, is very resilient. Yes, they're very, they're, they, they sort of bounce a little bit when they're that age. But that was the most that was the worst thing than the I guess the the pooping on you, depending on the level of poop, which is another thing you're about to get mm -hmm. into is there's poop and then there's poop. But that was the dropping on the head. Is, so if I can get through a flight without a concussed child. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. you're in great myself shape. Success. Yeah. Great You'll shape. be fine. So the way you deal. <laughs> they will likely sleep. Yeah. The way you deal with, you know, these terrible things, the crying, you just suck it up and breathe in and say, yeah. hey, we're never going to see these people again. You know, it's fine. Yeah. You know, I, it, listen, and every smile. other flight was completely different. You apologize in advance mm -hmm. is what I would do. And I'm like, listen, sometimes this kid is a great flyer. Sometimes he's not, you know. And um, it just depends on, on the trip. And sometimes they'll sleep through the entire flight. And sometimes they'll be crying for a few minutes. I had one flight that was like nonstop crying for like five hours and that was the worst of did, it did and that, that's it and did it, that tempt you to try to use something like baby NyQuil or is that just like a no-go no way no, no way no. you just because you right yeah and you, you have no walk. idea it could be the, it could have the the worst effect on them where they just it, freak it, out yeah. yeah or and they get like coked up basically mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. it has the opposite effect did you I found the, the I one, never medicated my kids ever. No, no way. I, I would say though that one of the anxieties that I always had was the changing changing the kid in those bathrooms mm -hmm. because it, it, at the beginning of the flight it's fine, but about three quarters of the way through the flight, it's like the bathroom is a 
war zone. Oh, yeah. I, never, like a, I never, I never use the bathroom. At a festival. No, I yeah, just use the, the. I mean, you get good. I'm, I like. I'm like the on one, the, the one-handed wonder. <laughs> oh, God, you know. No. Oh man. No, I, I'm, I, yeah. I always had to go in there, and I just. No, that's bad move. Oh, it's filthy in yeah, there. Totally. Disgusting. <laughs> totally. Bad move, Brad. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well. No. Um, you can, you just quietly, you kind of, you know, with blankets and, you know, you just, you you have a supply of your New York yeah. Times bags. Yeah. <laughs> I think by day two of parenthood, we're going to be pros at diaper changing. You also, will be. So. You'll yes. be fine. Yeah. That's the thing is that, you know, um, you're, you're sort of, sort of dealing with the novelty of, of all of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of your, that just becomes the, the changing of the diapers on the plane. Who cares? It's not a big deal. Also, the road trip. Like, uh-huh. I, I think a road trip is a great thing because then you really don't have to worry about other people. Mm-hmm. You're in your own uh-huh. self-contained unit, and you don't have to worry about food sources, really. Like, you know, if you need to do a bottle or whatever, like, that's one thing. But it's it's easy. Yeah. and um, You can stop whenever you want. Mm-hmm. You should just be on the road for us while you're on maternity leave. I'll do it. <laughs> Did you guys, did, accepted. I'm wondering, did you, did either of you guys get one of those special sort of harness things to yeah. put the kid on? on the, like yeah. a baby Bjorn? On, like the, a plane? Bjorn? on the plane. They, yeah. have, this, they, they oh. have special ones for the plane. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I used the, um, what was it called? I There were two different ones. The Bjorn and there's another one that has a little bit more back support. I forget what it's called. It's like mm. one of those hippie ones. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, it's like some better version of the kind that you see in Indonesia and, mm-hmm. you know, other parts of the world. But like, you know, the baby just needs you, and, and, and actually it's so much better than all the gear. If you don't need a stroller somewhere or you just, you know, or you want to check it, you know, that you just bring them through security with the little Bjorn. When, you're at, so nice. when you're at the hotel, are they going to sleep with you in the bed, or do you mm-hmm. get a, a loner crib? How, how does that work? You could do either, depending yeah. on whether you do the family bed or not. I think when they're tiny, it's just easier to have them in the bed. But they all, most hotels have cribs, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. you can just order it in advance. And also if you do um, diapers.com, you can send oh, diapers. Genius. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're going for a while, you mm-hmm. can send stuff ahead, yeah. which is yeah. like, you know, I mean, but it's so easy to get baby supplies right. anywhere. Yeah. I don't How do you work around time zones, changing time zones? When does that become a problem? We used to mm. try to keep them when they're really little. I tried to keep them on their schedule if it's yeah. only like a three hour. Right. But if not, you can kind of creep, mm-hmm. you know, so that if you're going to L.A., for example, yeah. and they normally go to bed. I mean, the thing is when and an infant is sleeping and right. nursing and sleeping and nursing, so it almost doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You right. just don't change anything. Um, if you're. I would say with Clara, um, when we, we did a lot of international travel and we would try and take a late flight. So never like the 6 or 7 p.m. because mm-hmm. then it just throws us all off. So I would try and do like the 10, 11 p.m. and then like everybody's exhausted. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you get there and you get to the hotel, it's, it's like you don't have to worry about not getting checked into your room because it's already like noon wherever mm-hmm. you're going or two. And then... Um, and then they're, you're all tired at the right time to be tired. So I just feel like I always think with families, I mean, I think you're right with an infant. It kind of doesn't matter, but it's more about you. Yeah. So I think just push it late and then don't take naps. I'm like, no napping. Yeah, I would agree. Oh, I, I do the 20-minute nap. You do? Yeah. I hate naps. I don't ever nap in any other area of my life except for international travel, like you get check into the room nap for 25 mm-hmm. minutes tops 
Because then it will oh, yeah. destroy oh, you. Yeah, because yeah, then yeah. otherwise you're destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, the kid, you, especially when they're tiny, tiny, like maternity <coughs> leave, it's just like they sleep when they want to sleep mm-hmm. anyway, you know. You're not going to get them to sleep through the night before three months. Were you right. were, were were your boys good sleepers? Yeah, they were. But I actually did the like let them cry. Yeah, um, yeah. Which you know I still have some guilt about, but um, I did it because I had to go back to work. Yeah, yeah. A lot um, of doctors are for it actually. Well, what's the, school, what's the school of thought on that? What it's are the pros really, and cons? It's really really split. Yeah, it's really split. I mean, I think like the the Ferber method. I mean, that was I guess the prevailing wisdom of the day. Mm-hmm. But then there are the, you know, Yolanda's still breastfeeding. Just kidding. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> True story. I mean, it Did went you? on for a fucking... <laughs> Did I say the F word? No, we have, we have... Um, Don't worry, we, we have market explicit. Yeah. We, um, we, uh, you breastfed for two years, was it? Yeah, two and a half. Two and a half Family years. bed, then she went into the bed with the dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. both of our kids are fine. Mm-hmm. So, and I and I did the like 3 months cry it out and he's a brilliant sleeper and Clara's a great sleeper. Great. Yeah. yeah. So, I it's really it's what works for you. It's my uh, biggest concern. I'm a huge I, I w- I'm a huge advocate for the cry look cry it out. Mm-hmm. It's really really hard. It took it took us maybe you know the first week was absolute sort of terrible absolutely terrible but um and then for maybe two more weeks after that it it was difficult but man after that it it was so easy everything just got so easy just self-soothing the self-soothing thing it's it's just also the gift of of sleep like the gift of being like Mm. just the idea that that your kid will be able to Mm self-soothe for the rest of their life Mm -hmm. is an incredible thing Mm yeah yeah how how old were your children? I'm talking to Brad, Yolanda, and Pilar. How old were they when you took your first trip? And what type of trip was it? Was it a plane trip or a car trip? Clara was five weeks old. Five weeks. So it was. Pa- is that past that first stage of sleeplessness, or is it still right sort of in there? Um, you know, she was like so newborn, mm-hmm. and we went to England. We went to a wedding, and um, and it all went fine except for she was constipated for like four days, <laughs> and then I called the doctor. And I was like, I don't know what to do, and you know, so that was my big thing. And they were like, give her olive oil. It all worked out, but you know, it was like it was the thing I had to do to make sure that like we didn't. It, it was like a practice thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't do it, then you just become those people who are like, well, I don't. I just you know, I'm gonna wait till it's easier. It's not easy. But it's important. It's like yeah. exercise. It's discipline. Like you just yeah. have to do it um, and know that it actually is going to make you a happier person, your family happier, and your kid a more enriched. Right. You know. So I was still breastfeeding at this time, so it mu- he must have been under a year. I mean, I, I breastfed for almost a year. Mm-hmm. The, um, and we had a wedding in, where was it, Harbor Island, I think it was. And um, it was, we just went for like 36 hours basically. And then I pumped the whole time I was there. (laughs) And it was sort of like we had booked these tickets knowing that we were going to leave. This is our our older kid. um, Leave him behind. And it was like excruciating and gut-wrenching. But it was really important for us also, in addition to, we took him, we traveled with Mm -hmm. him. We went to Miami when he was like, I don't know, four or five months. Um, And that was, you know, we committed to that. We had, we had, you know 
said we were going to do this. But this other trip where we went without him was equally important. I think it's important to establish early on that you're going to do solo travel yeah. with your husband or yeah. wife. Um, I made that mistake. We're still together. but Of doing but it or not doing not it? Not traveling with my husband. Right. Yeah. And he yeah. was very resentful. Well, I also, really? because you guys had a whole sort of pre-kid life of adventure travel together. Mm-hmm. And so this was like a radical departure from mm-hmm. your right. normal life. So it was particularly jarring. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that I think that's something we can talk about too at at some point because I think that that's a huge thing, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of people. But the, what on the save it for February? Well, no, no, yeah. no. I think for now, like I, because totally. I, because I do think um because I do think uh it's funny because on the subject of like when you travel, I was trying to remember when it was, and we took this plane trip, which I think I must have had much more anxiety about. We took a car trip, I think, when when our kid was. Uh, you know, is anybody else drunk? <laughs> 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 Sorry. So the, the cocktail of the week particularly strong this mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, no, particularly deceptive. Mm. Particularly yes. deceptive. Yes, it's so deceptively potent. potent for a colorful little drink. Um, but we took this car trip, and now that I rem- now that you mentioned car travel and going with them, we took a car trip at um, maybe uh, must have been about four or five months, um, and. I don't remember having any anxiety about that, mm-hmm. you know, like it was mm-hmm. perfectly fine, perfect. And I think that's because, again, like, you know, you have this sense of control over the environment and there aren't all these other people that's that right. are around. You're so, going to be disturbing. Yeah, you, you're, I, you know, I'm one of those people who have more anxiety about bothering other people than about anything that's going to sort of be a harassment to me. So that's I rem- shocking. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, I remember. I remember having anxiety about the flight, which went fine, like yeah. no problem at all. That, other than the head drop, that was bad. But <laughs> oh, that. But but nobody nobody got upset. Like he didn't. He didn't. Other than the head drop, he didn't wail. There was no weirdness. The car, I didn't even worry about it. There was there was no problem. So I would agree. That's a great way to kind of like work your Break way into, into it. it. Yeah, that sounds and good. And be in control of the situation. You know. But I, it's definitely you do have to push yourself. Sorry. Yeah. Can. No, I was just going to say. I think it's about like being okay with breaking routine, and I think that's what's hard is that. You're so taught when, you know, as soon as you have the kid, like get them on a schedule Mm -hmm. and then travel equals breaking schedule. So you kind of have to be okay with being in two minds of like when we're home, I'm going to work in this schedule. But but traveling is also important because it shakes me out of that. And we have to you really have to go with the flow. Yeah. On the subject of family travel, I'm really curious. So we're talking about how it's the early infant stage and how it's almost like this is the most portable form of life, right? You can take this thing anywhere. But then as the child ages, how does it become more difficult, more fun, or more easy? I mean, it's both, you know, they're like a proper child, you know, a a legitimate human being, like in toddlerhood. Like two. You know, except what's what's crazy is that's when they're the most difficult. That's Mm -hmm. when you will have your moments of got to whisk the child out of the restaurant if they have, you know, Mm -hmm. and when they're grabby. And also when the pre-walking or just just starting to walk is tricky because they've got, all they want to do is crawl and walk on the plane when they're tiny and infants. They're just these little lumps. You know, they don't even have neck control. You know, um, when they need to walk in the middle of a flight, you know, you got to go up and down and up and down. And so, you know, and they're just like, you know, the straight leg, you know, thing where they need to move. And and you want them to be able to to do that because you got to release some of that energy. So it really, 
the short answer is it, at every stage there are different challenges. Mm-hmm. When they're 18 months, like then you can start feeding them fun things and you know that kind of stuff, and then they can be part of the family and part of the adventure, and they're seeing and observing and excited. With that, however, with 18 months to two years old comes tantrums and and other things that you can't control. And then just to fast forward a little bit, I remember being sort of like an early teen. And, you know, that's just the worst. Being a sullen a-hole walking like 10 paces (laughs) behind your parents. No one is more of an asshole than like a a slightly chubby, hormone-ridden 11-year-old, right? And so I remember that being difficult. But then I remember getting out of that and then all of a sudden you're, really – You're it, like in it. You're like, your whoa, parents, yeah. I, I really appreciate that. So have you guys seen that yet? Totally. You know, past that phase? You're not I'm quite not there, there Brad. Yeah. No. Luke is just enjoying life. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean I, Claire is a woman. <laughs> she Claire's is got a, a job. <laughs> yeah. She, she got, she's done with college. She's moved on. <laughs> exactly. No, she's she's really loves every bit of it. Doesn't walk behind us. But yeah. yeah, our guys are not quite. Uh, they don't do the walk behind us. I'm sh- that may come. I have a 12 year old and a nine year old, and they're pretty in it with us. And and I think the more you travel, the more it's a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I love when my my younger son. I took him to Africa um, about a year ago to Kenya and Tanzania, and like I hear him, he'd be like. Henry, because I, I, their breaks are different, and I took one son. We did different tip, trips with different kids, and he's like, Henry, in Africa, it's really different. Like, <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, he's they're like bragging rights, and you know, I tried, you know, this, this, and that, and also just they, it makes them have sort of adventurous palates. Mm-hmm. Like it becomes this thing where. In our family, everybody has to try everything. You don't have to like it. You don't have to take more than one bite if you don't want it, you know, if it's exotic and weird and whatever. Um, but it becomes this sort of feather in their cap. It becomes yeah. this little, like, badge of honor, and they get excited. They're like, remember when we had the tripe, you know, and, and they, they're proud of themselves, yeah. you know. So it makes them, and then they become sort of like, you know, we don't want to be picky eaters, and they, they push themselves mm-hmm. because they understand. I mean, obviously, we, we focus on this in yeah. our family. But, you know, that it makes them, you can't order the chicken fingers, mm-hmm. right? In, you oh know, God. you can't. And so, I mean, not that that's really even an option, but it's sort of like they pride themselves on not even dipping into the kid's menu, you know, as yeah. a result. Well, there aren't Something. kid's menus everywhere. Well, in other places. Yeah. Nobody, you know, you know. I mean, it's an American thing more yeah, than anything else. For sure. So you, you, back to your question about Calder, about the different stages. I mean, I was wondering how you guys saw the behavior of other people, like people at on the on the planes, you know, like the flight staff and those kinds of things. Because I feel like flight staff are actually incredibly patient and tolerant and helpful with yeah. little, little, mm-hmm. little kids. And then you reach this point when they get to be maybe, I don't know, four, five, six, whatever, where suddenly the kids are kind of invisible until they cause a problem. Mm-hmm. And and the, you, you don't have to sort of think about it that much anymore. Mm-hmm. They kind of blend into the paperwork until they start throwing things or kicking on the chairs or whatever. Kicking, there was a big kicking on the chair oh. sort of period. Phase. Where they just, you know, but I find that like, you know, on flights, the adults who like use your chair to pull 
they're you know four hundred pounds up, um, are you know, just is, as bad. Are, are worse. Yeah. You know, like I'm sorry, this it. is my yeah. chair. You know, like use your chair to hoist yourself up. Oh. Um, but uh, but your your kid kicking the chair is is you know you're just like you do you have to just like I find myself even staying saying now I'm like you realize when you're like opening closing your tray honey there's somebody in front of there yeah. you know I mean you just have to remind them it's yeah. etiquette it's manners like anything mm-hmm. else do, have you ever had an out of control moment where like you like you're saying those things you're sort of giving those you know please don't do that please don't do that please don't that's not very nice whatever like a whatever. tantrum. I mean, that's the I thing. Mean, that, you know, the, I've had crying, but I haven't had a tantrum on the plane, I have to say. I've had crying. I have a good out-of-control moment that I just remembered. And, of course, I don't— From last week? From last week. It was, it was actually yesterday. No. Um, I recall this, this story being told constantly. My worst scar is a big split brow. And um, my mother was going to visit her parents in Minneapolis when I was about 18 months old. And I think I had just learned to walk, and I was running around the Minneapolis airport. And I had tripped and took a digger straight into a guardrail and split my face open. And we were just about to board. So my mother made the decision, rather than canceling the very expensive flight, to take this three-hour flight from New York City to Minneapolis and just hold ice on my head. And we got to the airport in Minneapolis, and we went directly to the hospital. And I don't know. I'm I'm curious, like, how you guys take that. That's just, like, the bare-bone facts. I don't really – I didn't give any mitigating circumstances. (laughs) All right. How many stitches? Let's let's get a handle on this gash. I think think it was only eight because I had a very small head at the time. But I still have a large (laughs) scar from it. And, um, and well, so, every boy should have a, a, a big little, brow scar. A, you know, a little, yeah, a little scar on the brow, exactly. And I, so I don't remember this at all, but I remember my mom being like, okay, we're in the airport. It's going to be more of a hassle. I still have to go see my parents. Like, let's just suck it up. And I feel like that's the very extreme example of having to suck it up. But, or, or maybe not. I, I, I was like, I was hoping for like, she stitched it herself. She stitched, yeah, that. <laughs> she held dental floss in her teeth. To totally. Cut her, to cut her. <laughs> Are you asking what calculus, like how would we have dealt with that calculus? I, I would have gone to the ER. Yeah, I, I wouldn't would have, have taken the flight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would have been paranoid. The, the the air pressure, like you know, you know, thing would have scared the, the me. Flux yeah. The flux capacitor. Flux <laughs> capacitor. Um, <laughs> the Airbus three hundred and fifty. Um, I would have gone to the, the ER. yaw damper. The yaw damper. Yeah. But honestly, I feel like I should learn how to stitch. Yeah. With two boys. Yeah. Yeah. Two teen boys. So aside from floss and and needle and thread, what are the most important things that you've traveled with gear wise? I think what my biggest lesson was, I always had this great um, diaper bag that, Mm -hmm. like, had everything in it. So, you know, that's, like, you know what you need. But what I didn't realize was when your kid throws up on you and then has such bad diarrhea that it's all over you— and you don't have a change of clothes. I liked what you said earlier about bringing leggings, extra leggings. You I never need would have to have like a, you at that point you'll take like a tissue tee, and you won't care about wearing that and like thin little leggings and how you look because they're clean. Mm-hmm. So like to have something lightweight that you can have in case of that situation because my kids spit up all the time. But that's a particular case. She was a big spitter upper. Yes. I, I never carried a change of clothes, no. and I never had an incident like that. But, like, if yeah. your kid is slightly colicky or mm-hmm. whatever. And I think because we traveled with her a lot, she she just picks stuff up. I mean, but it goes to— I don't know. It yeah. goes to a more metaphorical thing, like, that you were, that you were kind of talking about earlier, which is 
prepare for disruption. Like that, that I think is the biggest thing is that, you know, your entire, <laughs> your entire life is about to become about, not to quote the backyardigans, but uh, expect <laughs> the unexpected. Mm-hmm. Backyardigans, if you don't know what that is, you're you going will. to. <laughs> you should. It's amazing. Um, and and so, I mean, I think the, 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 the thing that you're going to get used to is every pattern. You have to become okay and, and even kind of good at every pattern that you like and that you're accustomed to being able to be broken and you, that being okay, mm-hmm. you know. So when you pack, I mean, this notion of flexibility is really hard to deal with. But I think that's that's the kind of thing you have to think about is what is the minimal viable, like, solution to yeah. a clothing I, problem? I was mm-hmm. very minimal with the packing always because I always felt like, I mean, barring, you know, uh, very remote places, you can always, there's always a Rite Aid if you're mm-hmm. in, in domestic or even in Europe. The pharmacies are so much better than they are here. Like, you know, I... Motrin was sort of like the one thing I packed and, you know, that was it um, pretty much just because fever is the one thing that usually happens in the middle of the night right. and you don't have a solution for yeah. it. Um, Did and you pack suppositories? No. Because we got in a situation where we didn't, not to be graphic, but we got into a situation where we were away from home, we were on the road, could not find a pharmacy and we could not keep the very high temperature could not keep the Tylenol or the Motrin down and we were freaking out and that makes sense you know it's one of those things where I I was like that seems like such a 1970s thing to do but I really (laughs) wish that I had how much freaking out happens with your first child that is then dampened with your subsequent child well just look at yourself and um, you're the firstborn (laughs) I'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) no I think that I think you're definitely more neurotic with your first kid because everybody's learning learning on the job and you know um, it breeds much more type A firstborns (laughs) I think Um, but you know everybody's everybody's learning Um, I mean, you'll be surprised how much less you pack if you have more than one child, um, how you how much less you pack the second go around. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't pack 4000 diapers. It's like, you know, I just remember getting the download from a friend of mine who was like two, two, three kids in when I was one kid, you know, having my first. And she was like she had like one diaper in her handbag and like that was it. You know what I mean? And like loose with like, you know. (laughs) Not even a wipe, yeah. you know, just yeah. like, <laughs> you know, and meanwhile, like you see these women with these giant bags like attached to their, you know, bugaboo, oh um, yeah. giant, you know, and it's just sort of, it depends on who you are. If over preparing makes you feel calmer, then that's what you need to do. Like for me, it was more about minimalism. Yeah. That made me feel so like I, I was more myself than um, than being totally encumbered by yeah. the gear. Because, you know, you look at women across the world, you look at women in Africa and Asia, and they strap their babies on and they carry their rice cookers and <laughs> they set up shop no. somewhere and they have infants and it's like, it's very humbling. Yeah. You're I like, already feel anxious by the amount of stuff I've gotten. Yeah, And I, I look bet. around and I see so much that I can't fathom needing, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you'll, you'll, you'll make that decision when the baby comes. Yeah. And it's sort of what I always tell people when when they have newborns is like all the baby needs is you mm-hmm. and some diapers 
That's it. Yeah. And they can be, you live in New York City, they can be, you know, gotten at any hour, you know, um, it's n- there's not much that you need, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're breastfeeding, you yeah. know, obviously if you're not, then you need formula and that's it, you know, in the beginning. That's another thing I've heard though, that breastfeeding comes in is super handy when you're flying because mm-hmm. god yeah. forbid you're delayed you run out of formula you don't have what you need but it's also good for the ears the sucking mm-hmm. is good for the ears oh, um yeah but we did not we were unable to do it i i say we like it's something that you know but and, and, and deficiency on your right, part yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh i, tr- I tried really hard <laughs> <laughs> um, you did, Fokker. <laughs> <laughs> and it did, but and, and it was fine. You know, I mean, that's the thing. That's the other thing I would say is part part of what you need to do is give yourself, like Pilar was saying, give yourself permission to do whatever it is that you that's going to make you kind of feel in control of the situation because mm-hmm. it's mostly about being out of control of the mm-hmm. situation and. So if that means, you know, one thing or another thing, uh, you, you really have to get – and I think you will naturally – I found that you sort of get out of this phase of giving a shit what anybody else does about anything. You just sort mm-hmm. of get in this vacuum. And it's like you and your partner and the kid and, like, y- you know, the, those that dynamic will sort out which of these things you need and which of these things you don't need. Yeah. You know, eventually you'll figure out which of the toys you need and which ones you don't need. And the kid will figure out which – they care about and 90% of them you're right they don't care it doesn't mm-hmm. matter none of those things are useful um, and it'll come you yeah know. I've had a pretty relaxed approach to all of this um, I'm yeah, not you seem pretty I'm chill. not afraid you know and people ask me well when, when are you gonna when are you gonna stop working I'm like when I go into labor <laughs> yeah. um, but it's very strange to think that in six weeks like, nothing's gonna be the same again and the idea that I wouldn't yeah. go to my cousin's wedding in New Orleans—you're going. Like yeah. I can't imagine that. Um, go. So yeah, I think like the commitment is really important. But being honest, like this is what I wanted to come back to. I do feel like, and I don't know, I I don't know how you guys feel, Pilar and Yolanda, but I do feel like it's different. Uh, you know, and yes, babies are different than toddlers and different than older kids, but the dynamic changes and. You know, I'm curious how you guys have found, um, because there are different stages of this, and and we went through the first stage of traveling with Luca as an older kid this past year, and I found it very, like, you know, a a learning experience, right? Challenging or? (laughs) Challenging in that that, um, I don't think we did it right. You know, like, I think... What we had done before, we had traveled when he was a kid, when he was a baby, and we traveled when he was a toddler. So they're very portable. They don't have a lot of demands. They don't have a lot of, you can sort of do what you need to do, and the kid is kind of an appendage. We also, whenever we would go to Europe, we had a place to sort of leave him with, with uh, my relatives, wife's family, yeah. relatives, right? And so finally this past year, we took him for the first time with us as kind of a a, conscien- a, a sort of sentient Mm-hmm. You know, communicable human. He had, in other words, he had input. He had input and, and or didn't and needed well, needed input. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That that was what I mm-hmm. discovered is that we need to change. We didn't really realize this. Um, we need to change the way that we travel when he's coming along with us now that he's getting older. 
And he's also an only child. He is an so only there's child. no sort of other child for him to buddy up with. Well, yes. you can speak to that. Well, what what was the the like? Is there one thing that's an example of like what was? So this is what I my takeaways were. Number one, the hotel matters a lot more, mm. right? Because typically sure. for us, the hotel whenever we would go, it's just a place to park our stuff and sleep, and that isn't to say that we don't have yeah. demands of a hotel but honestly we're in a place to go ex- experience the place we're not there to sort of hang out at a at a shelter it's exactly right? right yeah you need a place where you can come back and chill out and yeah. decompress with the, with the kid that's right yeah totally. I started thinking about the so public true. spaces at the hotel much more so the pool is really important for example Huge. Um, it mattered. He was really into it. Pool and he, is everything. <laughs> it's so I'm true. telling you. She loves the pool. Mm-hmm. But seriously, like he loved the pool and that meant that the pool was really important to us all of a sudden and we hadn't thought about that. at Like there was a pool, thank God, but it wasn't something that we had considered at yeah. all. Like common spaces, you know, suddenly became important because the rooms are small. They're small. It's like European hotels, like everything in Europe is smaller. So, you know, there wasn't like a place to hang out and I started envying whenever we would walk by hotels that had kind of like nice little spaces to hang out in with lounges and, and, you know, couches and whatnot. And I thought like that actually would be great in the middle of the afternoon because we don't have it and he seems to really need it. I just found that Mm -hmm. we needed to create more space for relaxation, more space for slowing down. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, because as a couple or even with portable tiny form of life, you can go, go, go all day mm-hmm. and then you stop and you have a cocktail and yeah. you, you know, have a coffee or whatever. You know what we did in London, which I think might be useful to you in a city? Um, we traveled with a soccer ball. Really? So we would, we walked, you know, we would go to the whatever, the the Tate or the National Gallery or whatever it was, and we'd have like our sort of like intense cultural moment. And then we'd go to Hyde Park or whatever park. And we'd, um, first of all, you know, soccer is the universal language. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, if you, it, boys and girls, frankly. Yeah. Um, and we, would pick up a little game with some local kids or they would just play the two of them. It was amazing. And then they'd blow off, you know, some steam and then we'd go have the next adventure or whatever. They could sit still at lunch, you know, I mean, two boys. Um, It was, but you know what? We bought the, you know, we bought, um, we bought shoes when we were there and then we saw the ball and we needed a ball because kids are always losing their soccer balls. So we're like, my God, we're going to buy a ball and we're going to do this. And it was amazing. Did you deflate it to take it on the plane? Like we, we didn't. We thought we were going to have to, but it was fine. Yeah. Nine yeah. out of ten fights that I had with my parents growing up was about me and my brothers playing too much loud soccer in the house. So I will say. Well, yeah, as a New York City kid, Breaking right? stuff, breaking mirrors. Yeah, no, else. there's, you know, that's the thing is that boys are different animals, mm-hmm. but girls need that too. They need yeah. to let off a little steam, right? Did you but, have anything yeah. like that? No, but I, I think like on the... They, pre- having they an old- pressed flowers <laughs> <laughs> together. <laughs> After I breastfed her, we pressed flowers. <laughs> Um, having an only child, I would say, because I like to keep her going and, and we want her to have dinner with us after the whole day. So Mm -hmm. I feel like that, that sort of building in the her time. So it's like, Mm -hmm. we're doing this together. This is good for you. We really like this. You're going to have fun, but then we're going to do the, 
you're going to have some pool time or some whatever whatever is the thing that's just really for her swinging mm, in the park or you know watching a puppet show or what wh- wherever you are whatever that thing is but the pool for me is the universal like downtime thing yeah mm-hmm. and i think um you should just talk to us before you go traveling, and we'll tell you well, the hotels. We'll do a little little hit list. Yes. Yeah, but also because, you know and yeah. you can do. I just remember I'm thinking about the, my the Paris trip that we took with the boys, and I think Henry was eight and Will was five, and we there's so many beautiful parks, like like playgrounds. Yeah, and I have these amazing pictures. You remember yeah. those pictures of. And we would just stop in the middle of everything. We would stop, and they would run around, and they would, you know, play with local kids, which was kind of its own so great nice. experience, you know. And and whatever, like everywhere we went, and when we were in Sicily, we picked up, you know, Kadima and Smashball, and you know, found some kid in like a little tiny red speedo, you know, a little Italian kid. <laughs> um, um, Brown you know, as an and, almond. And totally. <laughs> and, you know, they don't have to speak the same language. They're just hitting, like, it's such a great way mm-hmm. to immerse yourself. We did the same thing in Sicily with the soccer. It was during the World Cup. And we. I have this great video of my kids playing. They agreed on some rules. Nobody spoke the same language. It was like, okay, you, me, nice. you two, he's the goalie, da-da-da, in this beautiful uh, piazza, you know, at dusk. I mean, it was magical. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you just have to sort of, you. it's that sort of uh, doing the thing that's just for them, to yeah. Yolanda's point, I think is really key. And then we would set, sit with a beer in the square and watch them play. It was amazing. That's exactly what I want for my kids. Yeah. You know, I traveled from a very young age and I just, you know, in hearing you say that I can't I can't even imagine how much a kid would miss out on yeah. if their parents were so rigid as to stick to a routine or like be very afraid of taking them anywhere and getting them out of their comfort zones because they might cry. I mean, that's and life. It, listen, it is the temptation. I, I Admittedly, I, it's sort of like, oh, I don't want to disrupt the sleep schedule right. and this and that. And you really – it is an act of discipline and will that you make yourself do it and and there will be painful moments for sure and constipation and diarrhea and vomiting and you know and being dropping the head and you know and possible brain injury no. yeah. um, <laughs> stitches um, you know like there are always things that happen that you feel like oh god I'm in the godforsaken middle of nowhere like what would happen if something you know you can't live like that yeah. right I mean the thing is you, you're going to be sensible and you're going to have medevac you know, insurance and all that kind of stuff. So it's, you know, you just, you know, barring those precautions, you mm-hmm. do just have to commit. You make a commitment with your spouse to say, mm-hmm. we're going to, this is the family we're going to be, yeah. you know, and we're not going to be the people that only go to Orlando. Oh I mean, God. you've talked you about know? this for a couple of seconds, but, you know, just we all work at a, at a travel magazine, travel uh, brand. But what do you think and what sits in the back of your head as parents that are really the things that your kids are getting from travel that they really couldn't get from anything else? I mean, it's the same thing that adults get, right? Mm. It's empathy and exposure to other cultures and things like that. You know, it's seeing, you know, it's such a cliche, but it really is just the fact that, you know, you just take the, the, the tiny example of food when there are no other food options, there's no, you know, because all kids are picky in their own way, even the, the good eaters. It's sort of you have the sort of conventions of your own pantry, right? 
and the the Chinese takeout that you go to and the sushi place that you order, even if that seems adventurous for most, it's it's fairly circumscribed because you you have your routines. The fact that they don't have those options and they will eat. It's just like you it pushes you mm-hmm. in other ways. They see you know, extreme poverty if you're going to certain places or they see that kids behave in a different way than other kids do in the United States or that the manners are better or whatever it is, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it is that's different. Mm -hmm. Difference is so important. Difference is, you know, accepting difference is is what, you know, is is the mantra for for everything, for politics, for governance, for, you know, for all of these things that if you can expose them to that and that nothing is weird to them or just, you know, it even surprised me the other day my younger son was like, well, that's a weird name. I'm like, by the way, you have a weird name <laughs> for by most American standards. So what the hell are you talking about? You know what I mean? And he doesn't usually say stuff like that, but just the fact that you're hearing different names. Mm-hmm. And, like, my kids will say, like, ugh, can't believe how they that person pronounced your name, my name, because mm. it's a Spanish name. Like they're aware of that because they hear when it is pronounced correctly. So yeah. it's sort of, it's all of that stuff that in tiny little infinite infinitesimal ways have an impact on their lives and on their ability to be open and accepting and non-judgmental and you know all of these things that we fight against and that we all have in us in some way conscious or not just by virtue of the fact that you know we grew up the way we did and didn't get exposed to a million things or you know some some of us more than others but yeah. you know amen <laughs> beautiful <laughs> We, that was lovely. Facing yeah. your fears and overcoming, right? That's right. Yeah. Amen, sister. Yolanda, yeah. you got any? Yeah, I just think the um, being open, like mm-hmm. I think that that's the best gift you can give them is just to be open and and to be scared. Yeah, you mm-hmm. th- you face fears, overcome yes. them, and that's yeah. what you learn. Because even mm-hmm. in regular life, the first day of school is the scariest. Th- I don't care what anyone says. First day of school is the scariest thing on earth. Totally. And every time you go on a trip, it's like the first day of school again. Right. But and for us too. So like they're watching us overcome fear and work through it and argue and like, I don't know, was Maps. this the right place yeah. to have lunch? I mean, was that place better? And all of those things that they watch and then working through it and like, this is the best place to have lunch. And I, all of that. Or seeing you vulnerable in mm-hmm. a foreign language and mm-hmm. not being able to communicate or negotiating or haggling. And, like, you yeah. know, we had my um, my little one actually haggled at the Grand Bazaar in Istanbul, <laughs> which was hilarious. He was, like, by far the best, best negotiator in the family. But, like, those skills that this is the custom in this culture. Like, you don't accept anything at any price at face value or, or whatever it is. And also, you know, we were – when I was with him in Africa, we went to the <coughs> school – and, you know, in that way where, you know, the attempt to sort of to expose the, the, the foreigner to the, you know, to the setting, well, why don't we all line up and do like, um, you know, bow and arrow one by one with all eyes on your kid, you know, and by the way, the only white kid. And, you know, it's a very and to have to deal with that. And and all of a sudden, your the the your kid is having to sort of face the the that fear that first day of school fear yeah. in a foreign culture where nobody speaks. You're like these are all really valuable lessons, and like mm-hmm. I'm like sweating bullets, like 
don't make a fool of yourself. (laughs) But that's that's a great that's a great that's a great um, illustration of like what travel is. Travel is life in a microcosm. Yeah, totally. It's it's life just boolean, boolean, life boolean, boolean zoomed in so hard. So it's just all those lessons facing those things that you don't necessarily aren't ready for, but you do it and you become a richer, more um, broad horizon, three hundred sixty degree view person as Mm -hmm. a result. Amen. 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 Thank okay. you all so much. I feel I feel so much you better feel ready, now. Mara? Yeah. You feel ready to go? I'm ready. All right. Well, let's take it out. Um, thank you everybody for listening. Thanks you all thanks to you all for participating. Um, don't forget to visit us visit us. I don't know where I'm coming from today. Visit us on <laughs> yes, El Duende. I have El Duende tongue. Uh, <laughs> At cntraveler.com, we are Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. Um, you guys want to tell people where to find you? What is your favorite platform, Yolanda? Uh, favorite platform is Instagram and uh, Yolanda, Yolanda Ed, at Yolanda Edwards. Pilar? At Pilar underscore Guzman. Calder? At Calder Corey. Instagram or Twitter or Instagram. Okay. Mara. Instagram at Mora underscore Walters. And I am at Bradrick and that is it. Everybody have a great weekend. Thanks for tuning Thank in. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Thanks. Thanks.